At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I really want to thank Miro, one of the most useful tools. They sponsor this podcast. They are my go-to resource when it comes to working remotely and collaborating. They're also great for an office, but let me paint a picture for you. Everyone here is working from home in some capacity. Either we have peers that work from home, maybe we're part in the office, part out. Collaboration can be chaotic. Miro is the ultimate digital whiteboard and visual collaboration platform. You could be a remote team, you could be a creative agency, you could be a solopreneur. Miro allows you to brainstorm, plan, and execute seamlessly. Picture this, you're in a virtual meeting mapping out a huge project with Miro. You can drag and drop sticky notes, sketch wireframes, organize ideas all in real time. You collaborate with your team no matter where they are. This is a game changer. If you are ready to transform your workflow, you have to try Miro today. To show you how powerful it is, I created my own Miro board that you can check out at Miro.com slash success pod. It has a ton of resources for entrepreneurs, but it will also show you all the functionality of Miro. So go to Miro.com or go to Miro.com slash success pod for a ton of resources. Try Miro today. It's going to radically change how you collaborate with your team. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot podcast network. HubSpot has been a huge supporter of the show. They have so many tools that can help your business. The one that I want to just mention today, so you go check it out, is their new AI chatbot. It's called Campaign Assistant. HubSpot's Campaign Assistant is a game changer for creating marketing campaigns at scale. It turns your key selling points into a cohesive pitch, which helps you deliver knockout emails, ads, and landing pages in minutes. Just choose your content type, input a few keywords, key points, pick a tone like friendly or witty, and let the AI robots handle the rest. You can copy and paste the content to whatever channel you'd like, or even convert it directly into publishable campaigns without leaving your HubSpot interface. So let Campaign Assistant take care of the campaigns so you can get back to growing your business. Work smarter, not harder at HubSpot.com slash campaign dash assistant. So December the 15th, 2005, I was working in my dad's pub, his bar, um, in my hometown. I, I was 25 years and 11 months old. And something happened in that bar that definitely changed the course of both my financial life, but also my a mindset around life. And to put you in the picture really quick, my dad had pretty much raised me to be an entrepreneur from age six. He got me working in his pubs, bars and clubs, age six, taking money off the customers, emptying the pool tables, the slot machines, restocking up the, the beer kegs and the, you know, the drinks cabinets at age six. And he'd pay me a pound a week. Uh, and I'd go down to the local sort of, 
everything store before Amazon. <laughs> and I'd buy a picture of a Ferrari, a picture of a Lamborghini, picture of a, um, I love the, the Mustang or the Corvette. Uh, and every week I'd buy a supercar picture for my pound. And I'd put them up all on my wall. And I just loved the fact that my dad seemed to have this freedom. He had a, always had a big lump of cash in his pocket. And back then the paper notes were so big. I know I was small, but the paper notes were so big. And um, I just loved work. I loved working more than I loved going to school. And, uh, but I had to go to school, unfortunately. And I did my exams and did quite well. And then all of a sudden I'm at university and I'm on the last day of university and I'm getting a degree in something I'm not interested in at all, which is architecture. And I've built up all this debt and I have no idea what I want to do with my life. So my mum phones me up literally the day I graduated and she said, can you come and work at the pub for a month or two? Because um, dad's not very well. I'm a bit worried about him. And then you can figure out what you want to do with your life. And three years later, I'm still there. And it brings me to December the 15th, 2005. And now I'm 50,000 pounds, which I guess is about $70,000 now um, in debt, living in my mum and dad's pub with them, age 26. I mean, that's quite sad. I'm uncoachable. I'm skeptical. I've got a chip on my shoulder. I hate life. I, I'm scared, but it comes across as arrogance. And then... I'm pulling beers in the pub at one o'clock, really busy, December the 15th, freezing cold in the UK in December. And my dad just has this massive nervous breakdown in the pub in front of all the customers. He started eyes rolling around the back of his head, convulsing and shouting and screaming and squealing. It was all gibberish. I managed to get him out of the front of the pub. I got him to the, the front, hopefully trying to, hold him against the wall but all the customers had come out to watch the police had got called and um two policemen got out of a small van one looked about 19 years old and they beat him up they got batons out and they smashed him around the back around the back of the legs the knees they tied him up they put him in the van they arrested him they sectioned him and they diagnosed him with bipolar disorder and that was almost 16 years ago um and in that moment, seeing my mum crying her eyes out, my sister crying her eyes out, all the customers watching, I felt intense shame, but I was frozen scared to do anything. I actually had, I was about brown belt in martial arts at that point. It's probably smart that I didn't go and fight the police, but I just didn't have the courage to do anything. And, you know, I wouldn't say that was the one moment you know, everyone pins everything on the one moment. It wasn't like that for me. It was like for weeks, I hated myself and I felt such shame. And my dad had paid for school, paid for university, paid for my first house, giving me a job. And I'm supposed to be an entrepreneur and I'm nothing. And I hated myself. But in those few weeks of self-loathing, I started to take opportunities that were always there, but I didn't know, Scott. So... You know, I um, went to a property meeting for the first time, even though I hated, hated yuppies and I hated entrepreneurs. You know, I hated anyone in a suit. I like to rage against the machine. You know, I was like, uh, no, I hate all this. Yuppies. Ugh. But I didn't hate that. It was just my own fears projecting out. And so I, 
forced myself to this networking event. And at the end of that networking event, I met someone and we're still business partners today, 16 years on. And I'll keep the story really short, Scott, because this is the CV bit. But um, I got myself out of the 50 grand's worth of debt in my first year selling property deals for a company that this guy had helped me get a job in. I made nearly 100 grand clear in that year and bought myself, I got out of debt, paid all my debts off, even bought myself a Nissan 350Z, bought it for cash. The next year, and we bought 20 properties in that year on the side. The next year, I bought 30 properties and we set up my company Progressive. Fast forward now, we have 1,540 tenants across hundreds of properties. We've just finished a 99 apartment, 159 tenant block, which made 14,377 pounds net profit in November 21. Congratulations. Um, we've done hundreds of millions in education revenue. I broke the world record for the longest public speech, not once, but twice. I've written 18 books. I've got 1,000 podcast episodes, often you know, top in business and entrepreneurship, raised hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions for my foundations, the Rob Moore Foundation. Um, and, you know, there's other bits and bobs I've done along the way. I'm probably the most proud of retiring my dad and mum. Mm -hmm. Only three years after I bought my house, I bought my car and I retired them. And, and that's probably, for me, a more proud moment than all the business accolades. Um, but really, I feel like I've just started. We were just talking off air before about how we're all comparing ourselves to someone. And Joe Rogan's got a bigger podcast than me. So I feel like I've got a lot more work to do. But this all was because I got motivated and um, I had this event that happened to me that shocked me back into chasing my dream and overcoming my fears, I suppose. Do you feel that the best entrepreneurs have to hit that rock bottom before they are successful? Do you feel like everybody who is successful has had that kind of point in their life? Is that a prerequisite? No, I think it helps. <laughs> um, <laughs> But there's two ways to have a, a, a low. You could, the rock bottom you, you mentioned, essentially it's motivation, isn't it? It is pain. It's pain that causes motivation and accountability. So there's two ways to get that, Scott. Number one is you wait until your dad has a nervous breakdown and gets beaten up in front of everyone. Or you create your own pain, accountability, and motivation. So you either artificially create it in yourselves or life created it for you. But I do think that's a driver. So, you know, a lot of people are misinformed about success because they say things like, oh, well, that person's successful because they had a rich family. That person's successful because they were born in the, in the middle class. That person's successful because, you know, they, they're able to live in the American dream. But actually, you look at successful people, they're abused. Oprah Winfrey. You look at successful people, they're immigrants, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Gary Vee. So actually, this pain is often the motivator. But I suppose the reason I tell the story, I don't want people to wait until they hit rock bottom to finally follow their dreams. I want people to create accountability, pain and motivation within themselves now, so they don't have to hit rock bottom. They're almost forcing their own hunger. You've now, when you jump into all these different business ventures, it's over the years, you've built up all of you've built up a property business, you've built up a podcast, you've written multiple books, you get some awards, but what motivated you to go in one path or the other day one? And also, how are you successful at so many things when so many entrepreneurs succumb to shiny object syndrome and fail at multiple? 
Okay. I'll answer the second one and then ask me the first one again. Okay. Um, so I've battled with that, Scott, for much of my entrepreneurial life. Am I doing too many things? If I just focused on one thing, would I be more successful? After all, everyone tells you that focus stands for follow one course until successful. Hmm. But I think you've got to honor who you are and really know who you are. And I love variety. It's a high value of mine and I need it being an entrepreneur. And by definition of an entrepreneur, what's the difference between an entrepreneur and a small business owner? Well, entrepreneurs probably take more risk and entrepreneurs probably really do more ventures. Like you probably wouldn't call one small business owner an entrepreneur, but you would call an entrepreneur an entrepreneur if they were, had multiple companies. Mm-hmm. You know, Steve Jobs had multiple companies, even though he's famous for Apple. Um, and, you know, many of the other entrepreneurs, Elon Musk, multiple with, things. Yeah. So yeah. You, you list them all. They all do multiple yeah. things. So um, a variety is a high need of mine. It's a high human need, but it's a high need of mine. So I'd say if variety is a high need for yours, be honest about it and try and balance two or three different models or streams, but know when you're spreading yourself too thin and be um, self-aware about that. Because I've got a few things that for me are a warning sign that I'm spreading myself too thin. Like maybe I'm overwhelmed or maybe there's too much in my diary or Sometimes, Scott, I, I sit down and I go, I'm doing a lot of things, but I'm not doing any of them very well. And then I just have to say no and push a few things back and delay a few things. Not enough things, not enough variety, too much things, dilution of skills and focus and results. And we've all got our own sweet spot. It is wrong to say you should do one thing. It is wrong to say you should do 10 things. It depends on you, but you probably shouldn't do 10 things straight away. And you probably shouldn't do one thing forever. One thing forever is a risk. 10 things straight away is too thin. You've got to find your ideal balance. And for me, it's probably running three different ventures at the same time. So at the moment, I'm running my training organizations, but on a strategic level, I'm doing my personal brand and content and then little side projects like my NFT launch and, you know, sort of part writing books and things like that. So yeah, I like to sort of divide my time up about 70% in my main thing, 20% in my secondary thing, and then 10% in all other things. And that works for me. But we've all got to find our own slight balance. Now, what's your, what's your mental process for deciding where to invest your energy? What's the, the highest leverage opportunity and how do you identify that? I don't think I've got a model. I think I've got more intuition on it, Scott. Okay. So just feeling that intuition, I've got to love it. Like, surely that is, people are always saying to me, Rob, what's the best business opportunity right now? And I'm like, one you love. Because, you know, what, crypto, but what if you don't like it? What if you're not into the technicalities of it? Um, OnlyFans is a pretty good business model, but not for me, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> what, what you love, like 30 years ago, there wasn't such a thing as merging your passion, profession, vocation, vacation, but there is now. And I would say the best business model is what you love. So because I take risk in the hope of profit mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I make a lot of sacrifices to be an entrepreneur, I'm not going to spend half the day doing shit I hate. So criteria number one for me on how do I choose a business model is, do I love it? Number two, is it opportune? Like NFTs for me, I'm just about to launch my NFT series. It's opportune. 
Like it's early enough, but not too early. In five years, it'd be too late. Last year, it would have been too early. So it's the timing, right? Now, by the way, for me with timing, I'm not one of those guys that jumps in on a fad. So opportune for me is when, but I only really like to go into something if I think I can leverage it for 10 years plus, otherwise what's the point? Because you put a lot of time and energy and resource to push the boulder up the hill. So passion, opportune, are, are you good at it? Could you get good at it? Because there's plenty of things I love that I'm not very good at. <laughs> and there's plenty of things I'm not bad at, but I don't actually really enjoy. And they're actually different. So are you good at it? And then do you want it to be a business? You know, do you want to go through all the rigmarole of setting up a company and hiring staff and taking a risk and all of that? And can you make a good fair margin out of it? You know, so many people, they have loves, but there's not enough margin in their passion. So you need to also, you know, so you could say purpose, profit, definitely those two, passion, and yeah, maybe um, a timing that begins with P. I was going to say, you got to think of something. That th yeah. <laughs> See, I'm trying to make up a model for you on the spot because you said, have I got a model? Well, it's, listen, um, it's not bad on the spot. I'm not going to lie. That's, that's, it's, it's a pretty good uh, framework. That's it. Like, yeah. There's always a framework somewhere, even if it's not at a surface level. If you dig deep enough into like what yeah. you do and what's made you successful, there's something under there that, that can be taught out, can be pulled out, can be repeatable to some extent. But, 100%. The only yeah. thing is, as soon as you get a model, the world changes. That's also um, true. So, you know, with a platform, it's definitely, a, if I was teaching business and I was trying to make everything start with P, platform would be in it. Hmm. And I just actually got a 90-day ban from YouTube. So I've had a, an emergency meeting with my team today to work out what other platforms should we be on. And some of them are more underground, you know, like Rumble and BitChute. And then my head of brand is like, we shouldn't be on BitChute. Do you know what's happening to BitChute? a lot of people? It's happening to a lot of people yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, only, it happened to me because, because my guest said COVID has been hard for small business and it was the bot um, shut us down for misinformation. That's not misinformation. That can happen to anyone. Um, so you've got to be on multi-platform and you've got to have a business model that you can leverage on platform. You know, some people say to me at the moment, Rob, should I, I want to start a gym? And I'm like, that's not great timing. <laughs> it's not great timing. You're better off doing something online and leveraging online platforms right now because that's where the opportunity is right now. Um, you've interviewed a ton of incredible entrepreneurs. Uh, you've interviewed billionaires. You've interviewed uh, like very, very notable names. So between them and also yourself, what are, what are the best skill sets or, or entrepreneurial lessons that you would teach over if somebody wanted to start something? What is the number one thing that somebody would have to keep top of mind? Well, I've actually distilled about 21 habits and traits of how much time do we have? <laughs> yeah how much time do we have so i won't cover them all um i've written a book called money which has a lot of the traits in them and i have a podcast called money so if anyone wants to do any further research fine mm. so i'm just going to pick out a few random ones every billionaire i've met is intensely curious and zero is think they know it all and they have this ego chip on their shoulder and they're talking more than listening a billionaire is curious to learn from everyone. Not, not every billionaire, because there's always exceptions to rules, of course, isn't there? Um, but billionaires tend to be intensely curious, you know, voracious learners. 
if you like. Um, they have mass distribution. So that's not a personality trait, but it's a, um, you know, it's a, a business trait. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite. Now, as a business owner, I always remember when my company hits a growth spurt. It's great, but then you realize that things start to break. Things are taking three times as long. Manual processes start to bury your team in paperwork and admin, and you really don't have one reliable source of data or truth to understand how healthy your business is. If this sounds familiar, you have to know three numbers. 37,000, that's how many businesses have upgraded to NetSuite, the number one cloud financial system. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years streamlining accounting, inventory, HR, and more for growing companies. And one, because your business truly is one of a kind, NetSuite gives you customized solutions so you can manage everything about your business in one place, from inventory to invoicing, one powerfully efficient system. I love having all of my data in one spot. NetSuite allows me to do that. It gives me the big picture so I can make smarter decisions. And they turn complex financials into understandable, actionable insights. Right now, you can get NetSuite's popular KPI checklist for free to help improve your business. It's designed to help you boost performance across key areas of your business. Go to netsuite.com slash scottclary to download the checklist and see how one complete system can transform your growth. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Get more control in your business with NetSuite. I want to thank Belay for sponsoring today's episode. They provide solutions that all of us need. They help us get back more of our time because time is the most precious resource. A lot of you listening are business leaders, entrepreneurs. You know that if you spend your time incorrectly, it can make or break your business, your personal, professional relationships. It can completely sidetrack you and stop you from reaching your goals. So I'm gonna ask you, are you protecting your time? How much of your day is eaten up by tasks that could have been done by someone else? Wouldn't you rather spend your time on things that truly matter? The answer should be yes, because you have to, to move the needle on whatever it is you're trying to build. That's where Belay comes in. They are the nation's largest pool of exceptional US-based talent. Belay offers flexible staffing solutions to free you up. Need a virtual assistant to conquer those pesky administrative tasks or maybe an accounting professional to really keep your finances in order. Belay can help with all that and way more. Their personalized matching process saves you the headache of hiring by finding the perfect match for your needs in as little as a week. Focus on what matters the most with the help from Belay. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S -S -S, to 55123 to learn more and get started. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan 
plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. So, um, you know, Google probably have distribution of two mil- 2 billion people. Amazon have global distribution. Netflix have 205 million users. So the more distribution you have, the more scale you have, the more reach into revenue you have. So certainly distribution is one of them. Um, I, I like to talk about fair exchange. So there's a lot of people in this world that think the world isn't fair. And the world isn't fair, but the world is fair based on reward for merit. So the world will not give you anything for nothing. And, you know, communism and socialism, I think, has been proven not to work very well because it's disincentive and it's reversed merit. So, you know, Bill Gates said, if you're born poor, it's not your fault. But if you die poor, it's your fault. And he also said, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. Mm -hmm. So traits of billionaires are that they are fully and personally responsible for everything that they do. Even if it's not their fault, they make it their fault. They're full ownership, no blame, all accountability. That is a definite trait of all entrepreneurs I know. And they've learned the rules of entrepreneurship. You know, some people say it's not fair how billionaires get around all this tax. Well, they learned how to get around the tax with fair loopholes that were created by Donald Trump in his tax code. So what are you going to do? It's not fair that a billionaire learned the rules of the game. Of course it's fair. They learned the rules of the game. It's not the billionaire's fault. It's the government's fault. And who voted in the government? The people. So it's the people's fault, not the billionaire's fault. And they don't get this paradox. Um, so, you know, people who've become millionaires, they've learned about value and service production and profit and loss and balance sheet and, you know, how to make something for £10 and sell it for £20. They've learned the fundamentals of money and business and how it works in fair exchange. So um, a habit and trait of billionaires is understanding what money is and learning the rules of money and business. So there's three. A quick break from this podcast to recommend another podcast that you have to check out. It's called The Product Boss. It's hosted by Jacqueline and Mina. It's part of the HubSpot podcast network. If you have a physical product, this podcast is hyper tailored to you. It's going to help you take your business to the next level. In a recent episode, for example, they spoke about the power of TikTok for product businesses and how to use it to drive sales. And as somebody who is a little new to TikTok, I really learned some great tips for creating content that actually converts viewers into customers. They have a workshop style format that makes it really easy to follow along to take your business to the next level. So if you sell physical products, subscribe to The Product Boss wherever you get your podcast to unlock social media, marketing, and business strategies that create your dream business and then your dream life. Those are great. Um, I want to ask a couple mindset questions because you have a couple points that you speak about often I thought are really interesting. So two, two takeaways from mindset. And you can choose which one you want to go into first, but I want to cover both. So relationship with money, and then mindset of a of a broke a broke person versus a successful or rich person. I think that both of those are interesting, and you have opinions on those. So I'd like to go into those and just to talk about your experience as with relationship with money as a mindset as an entrepreneur. Wow, you know, I could speak for a week on this straight. Um, 
so money is simply a tool created by man to create universal fair exchange to increase the speed and reduce the friction of interpersonal transactions. That's what money is. But the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. So many people who have religious beliefs are indoctrinated with a negative mindset around money. Um, and, you know, in some religions, um, lending money and charging interest is, you know, a sin, if you like. It's, it's even, I think, illegal. It's certainly immoral in some religions and cultures. So um, the Bible, I can't say the Bible was wrong because I don't know the context in which it was written. But what I can say is the love of money being the root of all evil, that is wrong. That is wrong. What is evil is humanity. Because money isn't conscious and money doesn't have emotion. So money can't be evil. Like, imagine someone committed murder with a hammer. You wouldn't try the hammer for murder and put the hammer on trial in front of a judge and jury. Because the hammer is a tool and we all know that the hammer is a tool and none of us debate it. We don't go that hammer is evil. And when we put a hammer, get a hammer and it nails in a piece of wood, we don't go this hammer is virtuous. It's a hammer. But money is no different to a hammer. A hammer is a great tool of leverage that humanity created. Money is a great tool of leverage that humanity created. Money is one of the greatest inventions that humanity has created because it universalized value and it removed friction for exchange. And then it, it, allowed, it allowed us to trade from little villages to globally. It's a brilliant invention, but money never murdered anyone. Money was never greedy. Money was never powerful. Money was never evil. It was human beings. Now, some people will say, oh, but money made them that way. No, it didn't. Money can't. Money doesn't change you. It makes you more of who you already are. So all money can do is exaggerate your traits. If you took a billion and gave it to a philanthropist, they're giving that money away. If you took a billion and gave it to a drug lord or you gave it to, you know, finance a, a war, a yeah. gambler, an addict, then that's where it's going. So the love of money is not the root of all evil. Money is a tool that can be used for evil and good based on the values of the individual. So if you want to get really good at making money, you separate emotions and money just like you're not emotional about a hammer you just know what it does and you use it well for what it does because you can turn a hammer around the other way and you can pull a nail out so you can use a hammer in a few different ways um 
and money is the same. It's a brilliant tool. It's a brilliant tool. I can store value from something I bought or sold. That energy can be stored in money. And then I can buy or sell something to you across the world and transfer that energy from me to you. So when you know that money is amoral, emotional, and conscious, and it's a great tool for universal exchange, and you learn how to use the tool really well, just like nunchucks. You can use how to learn how to use nunchucks really well or not. Then you transcend all emotional and moral and judgment around money and you just use the tool well. And if you want to change the world, get really good at making money and then do good things with that money. Is that the, now, how does that dovetail? Maybe it doesn't, so (laughs) correct me if I'm wrong, but how does that relate to to mindset? Is Is that the difference between a poor person's mindset and a successful person's mindset? It's the relationship, the healthy relationship with money as a tool versus something that is uh, something that is evil and people have too much of it and uh, you can't you shouldn't base your whole life on pursuing it is that the difference yeah so a few definitions to clarify so if you are developing world poor or you have never had ed- education because you have lack of resources then you don't have the same equal opportunity as someone who's just broke whereby they're raised in America or England or Australia and they've got access to the internet and libraries and podcasts, but they're still broke. So let's go on broke rather than poor because poor isn't your fault because you could have been born into it and know nothing, no, no different. But uh, most people who we talk to are probably, if they haven't got any money, they're probably broke over, over poor. So um, the mindset of broke is quite complicated, but to simplify it, it is allowing your emotions to control your spending and not having a knowledge and wisdom of how you leverage money and value properly. So a broke person will always spend more than they earn. But a fundamental law of money, if you want to appreciate it, is to never spend more than you earn. A broke person will buy depreciating liabilities with money a wealthy person will invest in appreciating assets with money. A broke person will use money to alleviate their volatile emotions. They feel really good, they celebrate. Oh, I've had a really good month, we're gonna go on holiday. They feel really bad, they spend emotionally, spend a load of money to try and make themselves feel better. Whereas wealthy people can separate the emotions and they can go, right, this is the budget, this is the forecast, this is the investment, this is the saving. These are the projections and they can remove emotions away from money. So in a way, I would say a more profound conversation to have around money is not the mindset of money, it's the emotions of money. Mm-hmm. And what emotions are, they're a level deeper than mindset because mindset is what you think. Emotions is what you feel. But I think most people feel before they think i.e. they're triggered. I think when you're triggered, you feel before you think. And so I think impulsiveness is to be triggered, triggered by society, triggered by media, triggered by how our parents raised us, triggered by how we perceive corporations and billionaires, etc. We become triggered, we're hijacked with emotion, and then we make a decision. And we don't, it's not mindset, 
Mindset is a thought process to understand why we're triggered. Why did I hate rich people? Because I was broken. I hated myself. I wanted to be rich and I'd sold myself out. And that was embarrassing to admit, but it was easier to hate the very person that I wanted to be because it made me feel more comfortable in my own misery. But that's a very difficult thing to be self-aware about and to admit. The reason I'm triggered by this person is because is it's a mirror and picks a scab of all the disowned parts of myself. That's a fucking hard thing to admit. But that is, that's not just mindset mastery, that's emotional mastery. And that's mastery of your upbringing and your background and not blaming your parents and all these things. So, um, you know, the, the, if you want to make it simple, the difference between the broke and the rich is they're able to control their emotions around money and make more balanced financial decisions in an untriggered, neutral emotional state. Whereas broke people are always spending emotionally. That would be actually the binary thing. If you were to put a gun to my head, Rob, I need one mm -hmm. that transcends them all. The difference between the broke and the rich, that's it. And I don't think anyone tells you that because everyone's using the word mindset. But if you upset me and trigger me, I'm not thinking straight. I'm just riddled with anger and emotion and shame and ven vengeance and all these other bubbly. And that's when you're the least clear. Today, we have a very special sponsor for today's episode, Foundation Source. They are all about helping people and companies make the world a better place through giving. They are the biggest name out there when it comes to managing foundations and charitable donations through foundations. What's great about Foundation Source is they literally know everything there is to know about charity, about giving, about how to do it right, about the benefits that come with it. They use incredible technology to make giving easier for foundations, for individuals, for companies, and they've put together an incredible guide called the Guide to Tax Strategies for Private Foundations. It's packed with tons of tips for anybody that wants to make the most of their giving, especially when it comes to saving on taxes. This guide is a must read if you're into helping others and you want to do it smartly. They speak about the four main tax benefits associated with foundations, charitable causes, and the nuances of mastering something called the Form 990-PF. Very important if you are considering putting together a charitable plan. If you're focused on philanthropy, charity, this Christmas season, this holiday season, go to info.foundationsource.com slash xm dash tax dash benefits dash P that is info.foundationsource.com slash XM dash tax dash benefits dash P. That's where you're going to get your 2023 guide to tax strategies for private foundations. I thought it was interesting that you put out a podcast uh, called money. You wrote a book called money because all the entrepreneurial things that you speak about, you hear those, you hear the curiosity, you hear the tenacity, the grit, the perseverance. The one thing that I think a lot of people don't speak about enough is the importance of having that healthy relationship mindset and emotion with money if you're going to build anything. Because if not, it's going to fuck you up down the line, whether or not it's figuring out where to budget, figuring out what to do with investment, figuring out anything. 
it's going to fuck you up. But I've, I, I've never really heard somebody speak about it until you, and you sort of straddle that, you know, you, you live in the entrepreneurship world, but you, you made a point to build out assets that exclusively focus on that, on that concept and on the topic. I thought it was just really interesting. Um, I want to, yeah, for real rock on. Okay. I want to, uh, I want to do a couple of rapid fire. Cause honestly, man, like you're a smart dude. We could go for a long time, but I, I want to, I want to respect your time. Maybe we do an in-person sometime too, whatever it is, but I want to do some rapid fire. Most importantly though, before I pivot to close this out, where do people reach out to you? Where do they get all your content, your best socials, your website? So robmore.com is my website. You can find me Rob Moore or Rob Moore Progressive on all media, social media, except OnlyFans. Um, not yet. <laughs> my podcast, I've actually got two podcasts. Uh, let's just focus on the money one for now. You'll find my other one when you find that. And yeah, I'm all over Amazon. Got loads of books on money and business and personal development and mindset and all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Okay, let's do a couple of rapid fire. Uh, biggest challenge in your life. What was it? How did you overcome it? Today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution. It's called 1Password. 1Password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC. Everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepassword.com slash Clary and get a two-week free trial. Let 1Password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepassword.com slash Clary for two weeks free. I want to take a second and thank Indeed. They're a huge sponsor of the Success Story podcast. And as business leaders, we're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. It's to match with Indeed. Now, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. You need to ditch the busy work. You need to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster, all the tools you need are in one spot. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Just a quick question. Have you ever had one of those oh no moments when you realize that you accidentally deleted a huge file? Or worse, your whole computer dies. I know I have. It's happened to me a lot, but don't sweat it. The sponsor of today's episode, Backblaze, they have your back. It is unlimited backups for all your Macs, your PCs, or even your whole company, and it's really affordable, under 100 bucks a year. 
If you're running a business, they take the stress out of protecting everyone's data. If you need more bells and whistles for compliance, so on and so forth, they have enterprise options too. Honestly, losing data sucks, but Backblaze makes getting it back easy. They have restored billions of files. They offer tons of restore options, including rapid recovery in an event of data loss or ransomware. And you can access your backed up data from everywhere and anywhere in the world using their web app, iOS, or Android apps. It's been recommended by the New York Times, Inc., Macworld, PC World, LifeWire, Wired, Tom's Guide, 9to5Mac, and tons more. And best, you can try it fully featured with no risk at backblaze.com slash story. They set up that link for all Success Story podcast listeners. That is a no-risk free trial at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff. I would say the biggest challenge in my life is government interference. How um, to overcome that? <laughs> it's a whole can of worms. It's a- a whole can of worms. I mean, we're talking capitalism since way back when. Um, I know I said I had a hard stop at half past, but I'll give us an extra sort of five to ten here. So okay, okay. Um, basically, when COVID happened, the government intervened and locked us down. Now, I'm not saying if that's right or wrong, because actually we won't know for many years if it's right or wrong. And if it was really wrong, it'll probably get covered up. And the rightness of it will probably be, you know, amplified until there's a new government in. So, look, it might be right, it might be wrong, there's upsides and downsides. But the reality to my business that was running 850 training days live per year was that overnight we could run zero. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mark and I had built up a few million in liquid as well as all of our assets. So we had some cash that we could burn through. But going from, you know, we had overheads of seven, eight, nine hundred grand a month. One of our, one of our months, the overhead was 1.1 million. So, you know, we're like, holy shit, if we're a year or two in lockdown, you know, we might burn five to 10 million a year. Holy shit, that doesn't sound good. So that was intervention number one by government that really disrupted our business. The next one is um, taxation. So um, that is added on to my products, which make them 20% more expensive for people. Then corp tax comes off, which is going up from 18 to 25% in the UK. And then income tax of 45%, then dividend tax is going up and national insurance went up. And then everything I buy has got increased tax on and inflation is really huge and they're printing money left, right and center. So basically, my pound is going down at 10 to 15% a year at the moment, and I'm taxed about 70% in that pound. And that's all through government intervention. So, you know, hopefully how do you deal people with listen. That? Sorry? How do you deal with that? The, the second part of the question was, how do, you, how do you overcome it? I don't see, that's not an easy thing to overcome. No, well, I mean, obviously, we're only not even two years away from it. So I've navigated lockdowns we're now open again we do live events as well as online events actually um you know we had a really good january in fact we had a brilliant august september october november december january how did i deal with that because i hustled like i've probably never hustled before in the mind and in the graft you know i've been more about craft and leverage over the last few years but i put the graft in as well as the craft and figured out how to adapt and evolve so that's how I dealt with the COVID. And now I'm ready for anything because I know that it could happen again in the winter. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I, 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 
I guess I really, my metal was tested as an entrepreneur. You know, at a building site, there's 130,000 square foot with, I think we had 80 contractors on it. And that could have just been shut down, a 20 million pound, $30 million project. So this was very freaking real. In terms of the tax, well, that's probably not for a discussion on a podcast. Um, but mate, I'm just going to go through all my accounts and make sure that absolutely every single thing I can offset, I am. Um, so, for example, you should we don't, anyways. Yeah, you should anyway. But there's a lot of things that you can offset that you don't know because you haven't learned it or you haven't got advice or um, you haven't taught yourself. So, for example, you can offset R&D spend. Um, and we haven't, been, we haven't ever done that. And we've got tech. And we've got tech that external users use because you can't offset R&D spend on tech you build for yourself. I'm, I'm talking in the UK here. Everyone else got to get your own advice. But mm -hmm. um, in the UK, you can offset R&D spend on tech that you sell. So, to, and we've got three pieces of tech. And we've been doing it for 15 years, and we haven't offset any of the R&D tax. So we're doing that right now. So you know, I, I, I basically have to make sure that I'm running my company in a um, responsible way, and I'm offsetting all the costs that I can. Now, this is what the main, mainstream masses get pissed off about. Mm -hmm. But bring someone in here who's pissed off with um, Apple going to Ireland and Amazon going to Ireland to reduce their corp tax um, and put them in a position where they've got to start their business. They've got to take risk. They've got to put their mortgage on the line. They've got to put their family on the line. They've got shareholders and they've got fiduciary responsibility to maximize the profit and then tell me they wouldn't freaking do the same. Because if it's legal, why wouldn't you? So don't sh you're shooting the messenger by taking pot shots at Bill Gates and Elon Musk. It's not them. Um, it's actually the middle class and the small business that gets hurt the most. Um, so they don't they don't have a, they don't know they don't know no they, they can't do advantage. that they don't have the the knowledge or the skills. So um, I will tell you this though, and this has been a very well. All my content is candid, so you always get stuff from me that other people probably don't have the balls to say. Um, but if they put the tax up too much, I'm out of here. I'm not paying 85% tax. So um, it, you, in the UK, tax got to 83%. Right now, my tax 83. net, net, net. Yeah, 83. Dude, I know. that's nuts. That's why I'm 70s, Canadian. I think it, I'm in Canadian. The 70s. Yeah, that's, that, that's worse than me. Yeah. So wow. um, at the moment, all in, net, 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 my tax is 70%. If I can work out a few legitimate expenses, I might be able to get that down a bit. I could probably digest 50. I mean, it feels a bit unfair working half your week for the government. But, you know, I want to pay my dues. And, you know, we've got a school system and we've got an education and a healthcare system. I'm grateful for that. So I'll, I'll pay half. But I won't pay 75%. You know, I, I might be moving if, if it gets too there's bad. A lot of, there's a lot of beautiful places in the world that don't take well, everyone's 75%. Well, everyone going to Puerto Rico now, aren't they? Yeah. That's where they're all <laughs> they at are. at the moment. <laughs> um, they are. All the people that made money in crypto are all going to Puerto Rico. Like, yeah. But, yeah. like, no, it's, it's, it's got to be, um, be equitable. Here's the thing, right? I was listening to Noam Chomsky. I really want to get Noam Chomsky on my podcast. Um, you know, he's obviously he's, he's sort of very knowledgeable on propaganda. Um, and he's a bit of a cult hero in many ways, but he was talking about how corporations have it away because, you know, this the bailout economy and governments bail out corporations and they get all of this, these tax havens. And I thought, for someone who's so smart, that was a stupid thing to say. Here's why. Because there's only a few massive corporations that get bailout protection from the government 
and get all these tax havens. There's literally, well, let me put it into perspective. There's 7 million small businesses in the UK that are corporations that don't get any of that. And people like Noam Chomsky, very smart people and people who are anti-capitalism and anti-billionaires, they're looking at seven companies and how they're able to manipulate and reduce tax and trying to smash that nut with a sledgehammer, which will kill all the small businesses. They have no fucking idea. And the small businesses generate 90% of the economy. The politicians, right? So there was this politician that called Elon Musk a grifter. Um, and by the way, she doesn't even know her words because grifter is petty. And Elon Musk is not small. So she got that one wrong. She basically said that, you know, the, the, the man of the year is um, evading tax. And they, they want to slam that book shut. Which is actually He's totally incorrect. It's totally He's incorrect. paying because... all of her wages and her taxes. She says, I'm paying my taxes. No, he's paying her wages because the private sector pays the public sector. And he paid a ton of tax too. 11 he paid billion. A ton, so he paid a ton of tax. He was paying, he was paying like what people are supposed to pay. He was paying like 50, 60%. 11 billion. He, yeah. 11 I know, billion. I, I know. I saw that. It was just, it was just, it was just upsetting because it was just, it was ignorant. It was super ignorant on her behalf to say that. For somebody that's that's done such incredible incredible and stuff yeah, with his life, and these these are politicians running our country, and they don't have a freaking clue about how capitalism works and the economy works, and they don't have a they don't have an understanding of how money moves around or trickles down or who finances what. You know, where's all the p political donations from? Billionaires. It's like fucking irony on a like on a crazy level. I don't know. It seems like it seems like it's more uh, with with Musk in particular. It seemed like it was just it was a it was like a a trend to hop on, you know. It was like the flavor of the day was to hate on Elon Musk not paying taxes, regardless of whether or not that's a, a correct wrong. or accurate statement. Like, Completely let me ask incorrect. you this question, Scott. If if I gave you eleven billion, option A, give it to your government to invest wisely. Option B, give it to Elon Musk to invest wisely. Who do you think is going to use 11 billion of capital better for the furtherment of humanity? Elon Musk Elon or the Musk. government? Elon, Elon Musk, Musk. 11 out of 10 times, like not there even, a, not even and, a question. And I think even many socialists and communists would agree. So how does taking money off Elon Musk and giving it to the government solve the problem? I'll tell you what the real problem here is, Scott is everyone worrying about Elon Musk instead of worrying about themselves. Because all the agreed. people who are attacking Elon Musk, if you started a meaningful enterprise that made a, a difference in this world and you started building products and services that people value and you started building wealth, then you could contribute to the economy. Instead of like, I interviewed Peter Schiff and he said, government's way too bloated. There's so, too many people in government. So a lot of our taxes are immediately just going on a bloated government on a wage bill. I think I I've had this conversation many times. I think the only solution is to find a way to bring smarter people into government. Right now, it's not an attractive option for smart people. And that's the issue. Well, why would an entrepreneur want to be in government? That's exactly the issue. It's not an attractive option. So when you no. don't have an attractive option, you, you, you have brain drain. You have, you have the smartest people who don't want to work in government. Why would they? Mm. But that's an issue.
that's a major issue that would solve a lot of problems if you figure out how to solve for that is it is it mandatory retirements at a certain age is it maybe upping that base salary i don't know what it is but there's something wrong with it because you don't have the best and brightest going to government ever in any country now i asked i am um, interviewed nigel farage who's quite big in politics in the uk he's actually quite big in america as well he's good friends with trump yeah, yeah. and i said why the disdain for small business why the lack of support and he said well you know, in the UK, there's a, a, a private school called Eton, which is where many of the politicians go. And essentially the talent pool for many politicians in the UK are these private schools. And they look down their nose on small business. It's, it's just, they just don't value them. Paradoxically, the small business is paying their wages. The hairdressers that they shut is paying their wages. The gyms, the pubs, the bars, the clubs, the restaurants, the local shops that they shut are paying their wages. And then what do they do? Tax them more to pay their wages again. It's fundamentally wrong. But anyway, this is supposed to be quick fire. I'll do the rest really quick. <laughs> hey, listen, man, it's a good conversation to have and it's not an easy solution at all. I think a lot of people are thinking the same thing over the past. I think it's been more prominent over the past two years. More people have been cognizant of how fucked up shit really is over the past two years. Um, yeah. All right, let's do these. Oh, so I'll just Sorry. add one more super quick thing then. Yeah. I think the main solution out of COVID is production. So why is um, QE high and why is inflation high? Because there's an undersupply of production. Why are prices high? Because there's an undersupply mm -hmm. of production. And across the world, we've got this, oh, but I need to work from home now. And, oh, you know, well my mental health's you know really being affected by the way if people have got genuine mental health fair enough i definitely do not look down on that don't forget my dad has bipolar but a lot of people are saying their mental health is affected when they're just tired or they've just had a couple of bad days um oh, i need to work from home and i need work-life balance and then yada 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 well look if we're in booming economic times of prosperity then all of that shit and a four-day work week and all of that let's put it on the table but when you are if there was a war would people be going, oh, well, I need to do a four-day week in this war because my mental health is affected? No, pick up your freaking gun and go and fight. And the way we get out of this shit, I, I think if people knew how shit the economy could be for a decade, they would take note, is production. You build mm -hmm. up production. You build up supply chains. And production is work. So basically, everyone needs to get back to work and work hard and build and produce and solve. This is the way out of it. But there's this counter mindset of, oh, well, I'm tired and I'm offended and I'm, fuck, man. Come on, wake up and build shit and make shit and get the production up. That's what you need to do. I'm, I look, I'm an entrepreneur, so I guess I'm a little bit biased. But I know with my staff, you know, if, if they just do their job well, I'm going to keep them. And I know if they do their job 20% better than before COVID, I'm going to pay them more. But what a lot of people do, well, I want to do a four-day work week and, you know, I want to bring my problems to work and all this stuff. And this is, by the way, I'm not even, it's not even on the people. It's on society. It's on government. It's on media. You know, that guy fired 900 people on Zoom and he got a massive lambasting for it. If that company is in financial trouble and firing 900 people means that that company survives, that entrepreneur is brave. And tell me anyone else who, who would have had the balls to do that. And he got a load of shit for it. A load of shit by a load of people getting paid in civil service who got furloughed in lockdown.
fuck? Come on, people. <laughs> I, I, I see uh, I see. a couple sore, sore points, a couple sore points that have been fucking ruminating in your head. I, man, well, you know, you know, an entrepreneur is usually built differently. Usually you look at stuff that's happening and you just get, you just get mad. But like the answer is you can't just get mad. You got to figure out a solution. That's the issue. You got to figure out a solution, evangelize a solution because you can get pissed off as you want, but it's not going to change the fact that people do want a four hour work week. So what's, what's the fix? What's the fix? What's the fix? Production. Production. The fix but production. how do you change? How do you change a, a mindset? How do you change the mindset of society? How do you do that? I don't know how to do that. That's a different. Well, I, I work. I, mean, I work nonstop. I'm cool with it. I, I we're on the same wavelength, but I don't know how to get somebody who wants a four hour week to not want a four hour work week or four uh, four I think day. You've work got week. you got yeah. I think you've got to teach. Well, Tim Ferriss needs to. You know, I yeah. bet he's worked five hours. Tim Ferriss. <laughs> that's right. Um, that's right. <laughs> so, um, I think you teach them really how the world works from a younger age because they don't get it. Like proper education from the people who want to work less, they want to do less because they think that's going to make them happier. But actually life is the opposite. You feel the best when you produce and you get reward and you overcome challenge. So basically we have to build and produce and overcome challenge and do hard things. And when we do those things, we get those feelings of fulfillment, which are far deeper and more meaningful than those transient feelings of, oh, I feel good now, I don't have to go to work on Friday. Mm -hmm. So it's about teaching people actually understand what feeling good is and what reward really is. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Okay, let's, let's keep going. Let's, I feel like we could do more on this. Let's keep going. All right. Um, couple other lessons to pull out from from your life who's the biggest influence in your life you had many many people that have influenced you who was the biggest influence and and why or how do they influence you my dad when i was young as i said because you know yeah, i yeah. wanted to be him john demartini probably in terms of mentoring and wisdom and education on great, understanding great, great guy, the neutrality guy. and the balance of life and how every upside has a downside and in every stressing hides a blessing and um you know a lot of understanding of polarity and how human beings separate things so you know battery wouldn't work if it didn't have a positive and a negative in an atom i think you have a positive and a negative um you know you have a male and female in terms of sex but also plugs to male and female a screw has a hole and a screw so basically everything has this polarity which creates neutrality but what human beings do is we um create extreme so you know infatuation and fantasy is perceiving only upside depression and anxiety is perceiving only downside john demartini mm. taught me that actually everything has both and there is neutrality and everything has equal upside and downside um and for me that's true wisdom um and you know covid was hard but there have been plenty of upsides true, um true. and yeah. y- you know I i've never met anyone who can I remember hearing John Demartini talk about a hundred upsides of nine 11. And I was like, Whoa, wow. <laughs> um, and he often talks about the upsides of his wife dying. Like, Whoa. Wow. And I say often he's talked to me about it a couple of times. I don't know how much he publicizes it, but wisdom is understanding what is not what you feel. And what you feel is I feel good. What does feeling good mean? It means thinking everything is good. IE not seeing the things that are not good. What does feeling bad mean? Seeing everything that's bad and not seeing everything that's good. 
So um, hmm. for me, I mean, it takes a little bit of while to truly get your head around. But for me, that's the smart, ult smart. ultimate form of wisdom is um, polarity and neutrality and balance. If you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would that be? Stop drinking and chasing women. <laughs> good advice. Very good advice. And last question, uh, what does success mean to you? Doing meaningful and useful things to as many people as possible. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.